Um, all right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13. And as you turn there, um, I want to give you this stupid little story that Marianne and I um, had a disagreement on early on in our marriage. It was, you ever, you ever like hear something or you say something and you've been saying it this way for a long time? And then you, it's like maybe a lyric to a song or something, and you've been singing it wrong. You just had no clue, and everybody's just kind of tolerating it, that you're the guy that always sings the wrong lyrics. That's always me. I know the melodies, but I never know, like, there's lyrics to songs. I just, you know, anyway. So Marianne and I were having this discussion early on in our marriage, and it was the phrase, the, the jig is up. Okay. So, me being the all-knowing husband of all things objectively knows all truth, I said, love, that is not even close to the saying. That's, that, that doesn't even mean anything. Like, that's impossible. It's the gig is up. The gig is up. And she's like, no, it's the jig is up. And I go, no. It's the, you remember like those old movies with Cagney Layton, like the, the gig is up, Kappa, you know, that kind of a thing. See, it doesn't sound right if you say the jig is up. And she goes, it's the jig, I, it's the gig, it's the jig. And we went back and forth, back and forth. This was before you could Google things, right? And then Google would just tell you whether who's right. Well, lo and behold, guess what? I was right. She was right. <laughs> the jig is up. What, is, what the heck does that even mean? I had to like Google it, find out what that meant. Um, this is an old Elizabethan era word for jig was synonymous for like a trick. It was, I thought it was like a dance, like an Irish. See, Michael <laughs> Bryan was getting all excited. And it's actually a synonymous for the tr- a trick or a you know, deception. And you would say this to somebody when they got found out that their trick was found out. You would say, the jig is up. And so Marianne was right. And it's not just things... Like, yes, you're right. Okay, we get it. Everyone just acknowledge that she's... Okay, thank you. Um, The problem is that we tend to do things like that in our Christianity, in our understanding of who God is, in sometimes we read the Bible and we we either misunderstand the, the Word of God because it might say something that's not always super clear to us, or maybe it's a culture that's been taught to us by generation by generation, or maybe the church we grew up in did things a certain way, and you know, you may have been newer to Southlands Junior, and you're like, this can't seem right. How do, why, all these kind of things, this seems a little bit different to us. And today we're going to look at a portion of Scripture that talks about this misunderstandings that we have when it comes to the kingdom of God. So, if you have your Bible, um, turn to Luke chapter 13. And you're going to notice here that this story is not like novel. It's not the first time that something like this has happened In Scripture, you're going to see that Jesus is going to do something. The religious people are going to get upset. The unreligious people are going to be happy. And then Jesus is going to tell a story. And so you ask yourself, you're like, why do the Gospels like seem to tell these accounts over and over and over again? It's like, yeah, we get it. We get it, Jesus. And I think there's a couple things that we need to learn here is that, one, Jesus means what he says. And you know, we tend to kind of drift away from these things. And I think one of the graces of Scripture is not to go, man, I think I've read a similar story here. Maybe there's nothing for me to learn from it. It's actually that Jesus and God are trying to tell us something 
because we forget, right? And if it matters to God, it should matter to us. Martin Luther said this about understanding the kingdom and the way that the gospel works. He said, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. And so this morning, we are going to beat into our heads continually the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, you guys with me? All right, so turn to verse 10. We're going to read the verse, first three verses of this. And, uh, ver- sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 13. It'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we can get one to you. I'm reading from the ESV version, and this is what the word of the Lord says. Now, he was teaching, speaking of Jesus, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called, to her over, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Isn't that beautiful? What, is, what an awesome part of Scripture here. So I, what I want us to do in this, these first three verses, I want us to... If we could um, like take the sentence or a paragraph and like break it into three parts. I want us to look at the condition of the woman. I want us to look at the condition of Jesus. And then, and then we'll get on to some more things. But first, let's, let's, let's look at the, the condition of the woman first. Okay, So we see here that she is in desperate need. She, I mean, she's been like this for 18 years. And I know there's probably some of us here this morning who may have physical ailments and who have been wrestling with an ailment for more than one year, more than two, more than five, maybe more than ten. Maybe you're similar to this woman here where you experience a daily pain, a daily disability, a daily infirmity, and it gets to you and you find yourself in desperate need. You think about this woman. She probably hardly ever was able to look at somebody in the eye without kind of like straining to do so. In a culture that would demean women and would demean probably people who were sick, they would either view her as, oh, she must have done something to deserve this, God's punishing her, and look down on her and kind of thought of her as a nuisance. And so she was in, she was in a bad place. And it wasn't just this momentary thing, if you could think, I don't know if she was old or young, the, the Bible doesn't really say, but I would kind of venture to guess she was in an older category, and for 18 years she wrestles with this infirmity. It's hectic. And the Bible does say, though, that this was caused, we're going to see here, not just by a natural ailment, it wasn't just because Her body just started to go wrong for some reason and it caused her to be bent over. The Bible says specifically that this was caused by a demonic attack. Now, we're not going to go down the weeds and get into a rabbit hole of that this morning, but I do want to say that, friends, we need to understand that there are some physical ailments that are just that. They're just physical, right? Uh, Our body, we live in a broken and fallen world, and I was just reading with my youngest boy the other day about when sin entered into the world. We were talking about this and how now Eve is going to have 
pain in childbirth. Marianne knows that well, four times. And, 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 and Adam, uh, Adam experiences now um, hardship when he's working the ground. God tells him it's by the sweat of your brow. And the, the, the ground's not going to yield fruit for you easily anymore. And so we see the effects of sin. And so sometimes the effects and generalities just affect our bodies. My eyes aren't as good anymore. I have to start wearing bifocals, God forbid, and all those things. But then there are times when it's not just physical, it's not just the effects of sin in general, it's not just us getting older, it's a spiritual attack from the enemy. And the enemy is real, and, the, and it doesn't mean that she was like possessed with a demon, so to speak. It just means that there was a spiritual attack, and it was affecting her body in a physical way. So, where does that leave us then? Well, then we have to look at the compassion of Jesus. What are we to do in a fallen and sinful world that's broken? And, you know, it feels like we've been, when you've been hearing these hard sayings of Jesus every week. Doesn't it feel like that? Man, he's saying something. Like last week, he's talking about cutting people up in pieces. You're like, what in the world? And see, Jesus is not just this harsh, strong. He's also loving and kind and gracious and you see his compassion here. And I love that there's this truth. I don't know if you missed it, but there's this, there's this beauty that this woman doesn't even come to Jesus and ask to be healed. A lot of times you see that in the Gospels, right? A lot of times you'll see like blind Bartimaeus, where he's, Jesus is walking on the road with his disciples. And this guy, blind Bartimaeus, he's calling out and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, son of man, have mercy on my soul. Please help me. And everybody's like, shut up. You're, you're disturbing our good peace right now. This is inappropriate. And he says, I don't care. And Jesus hears him, turns to him, and he heals him. In this instance, the woman just is going about her business. She's just doing her thing. If it's been 18 years in her life, she's probably thinking, today's just another day of me having pain. It's just another day of me being hunched over. It's just another day in the life of my life, and the compassion of Christ, what he does is he doesn't wait for this woman to come to him. He sees her. I don't know if it was like across the room or across the courtyard. I don't know what the scenario is, but he actively sees her. And then he doesn't just even do the cultural thing which he should and just acknowledge her from a distance, but Jesus takes a step further and he puts his hands on her. And he lays his hands on her and he, he comforts her and he, he lets her know, like, I see you. I identify with you. And then with a word, what does he do? He just speaks and she's free. And immediately she stands up upright. Immediately. Friends, I think we, we should not gloss over this this morning. Even though this isn't necessarily the main point that I'm wanting to get us to understand this morning. I think we need to understand Jesus is available to us. Yes, he's strong, but he's loving. He's compassionate. And sometimes when we're not even seeking him, he'll come out to us and just say, hey, I see you this morning. And I want to encourage you guys, Jesus sees you where you're at this morning. He knows every single thing in your life that's going on right now. Now, that might terrify some of you, but he knows every single thing every hardship that you're going through, every fear that you're feeling, every doubt, every time you think about your bank account or that relationship or whatever it is that starts to give you 
serious fear, he sees that and he knows about it and he cares about it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. What's the response of the woman here? Immediately she stands up and then the Bible says she starts praising God. She's like, oh, 18 years I've been bent over. And with a word and in a moment, I've been set free. And before, I, I was just always, it was like, I tried my hardest. This back, it would just, uh, and then all of a sudden, whoop. Hallelujah. Now, the story should end there. But there's a but. There's a big old but in this story. Let's continue reading. Not B-U-T-T, just B-U-T, all right? Take it easy. Get your mind out of the gutter this morning, all right? This is what verse 14 starts with. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, how dare he, said to the people, now just, just think about this in your mind for a second. The, the like sheer craziness that he's about to say here. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. What a jerk. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, hey, by the way, she's a Jew just like you, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Verse 17, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Boom, mic drop, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Oh my gosh. It should have ended with verse 13, and then we get to verse 14, and then there's this grumpy guy. So let's take these, what we see kind of deconstructing those first three verses, and let's now look at these next three verses and deconstruct those and see what's going on here. So first thing we got to notice is the response of this synagogue leader. A synagogue leader. What's a synagogue leader? Everybody knows what a synagogue leader is, right? That's super easy to understand. Everybody knows. Well, not really. The way that this would work in these, in these New Old Testament times, basically, I mean, it is the New Testament, but the way that the Jewish worshipers would work is they would have congregations, so to speak, set up throughout the nation, and they were called synagogues. These were their churches where they would worship on, on given days, and they would come, and they would come together and read Scripture together. They would un, undo the scrolls of the old prophets and recite them, and someone would come up, and, and then they would sing these songs, and there was always what would we would say something like a lead pastor or a congregational leader or a synagogue leader of every single synagogue. And it was this guy's job to make sure that this synagogue was doing what synagogues should do, following the rules of the synagogues. And they would have all these kind of layouts. And if you're a synagogue leader, you have to keep these rules. And when you gather together, it has to be done this way and orderly. And it was his job to make sure that that was happening. And he was probably the guy that probably should have known more than most people knew about what was happening when they gathered together. And the audacity and the outlandishness of this guy's kind of statement, we feel it right away, don't we? We're like, what in the world? 
How is this even possible? This guy must hate everybody. Yet, I think, reality is, it's easy to point a finger at this guy this morning. But the problem is, he didn't really have an understanding of what the kingdom of God was. He didn't really have an understanding of God's greatness and His power and His love and His compassion. And so he immediately turns to, maybe his name was Joe. Joe, your job is to make sure all the rules are followed and you do everything a certain way. And he's like, yes, sir. Joe's really good at it. And all of a sudden, here comes this Jesus, healing on the Sabbath. Who in the world does he think he is? We don't need that kind of stuff around here. There are six days in the week for people to be healed. On the Sabbath, that's not one of them. Take your healing and come back some other day. Because that's not what we do here. See, Joe didn't understand the kingdom of God. The problem is that he has this, what we see, we're going to now draw a line in the sand this morning, he's on this religious side of understanding the kingdom of God. When Jesus is just on this non-religious side, he's on this gospel-centered side, he's on this all-about-the-kingdom side, about understanding who God is. And what Joe wants to do on this side is hold his protocols, he wants to hold all his like, rules and regulations the way he wants them to, because when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, it doesn't fit into these extra rules that we created that keeps us in line, gosh darn it. And he misunderstands what the kingdom of God is like. He would probably say things like, this feels inappropriate. This feels very inappropriate. You ever, be, you ever, you ever been in like a church service where something feels a little inappropriate? Maybe it's my preaching feels a little inappropriate. Maybe it's like the way we did that song. Maybe somebody was getting a little too excited. This feels a little inappropriate. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. We've got to turn off our inner lawyers. See, there's that little inner lawyer in your heart that goes, excuse me? This is not the way I understand. This is not the way I've done it before. This is not the way we've done it before. That's this guy's problem. What makes you righteous... Uh, what, what did I write here? I can't even understand my own writing. The problem, is, uh, here it is. I went halfway through it. The problem with religion is that religion says fulfilling these steps will make you righteous. Okay? Like if I do number one, check. Number two, check. And number three, that was a really hard one, but check. Woo! Yes, I am right with God now because I did one, two, and especially three because it was hard. And that what it does is it fools us into thinking that we are now in right standing with God. But the way that the kingdom of God works is the other way around. It's like, wait, this doesn't make sense. See, God pours out his grace. God pours out his acceptance. God pours out his righteousness into your life. And all you do is accept it. And then you start to go one, two, three. It's not... I did one, two, three, so please give me acceptance. Please give me grace. Please give me righteousness. It's the other way around. I've given you righteousness. I've given you grace. I've given you acceptance. So I now, therefore, call you into do one, two, three. Okay? 
He's got it the other way around. Jesus' response, what does he say? He rebukes them because they were more concerned with following protocols than they were with the growth of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. This guy, Joe, I don't know why, who's, is there a Joe in here? Like, I'm sorry, we're not picking on you this morning. He's more concerned about staying in the lines, about making sure the crayon doesn't cross over that black little bold thing because it's going to look bad, than he is with the creativity of a preschooler drawing a blue duck. There's no blue ducks. How dare you draw and color a blue duck? Well, I've never seen a blue duck. I like blue ducks. I wanted a blue duck. Awesome! He's more concerned about protocols. And look at this. 18 years of protocols What brought what? Nothing. 18 years of protocol brought no life, no freedom, only allowed this woman to stay in bondage. Put that in your sock. I'm not going to say pipe because I'm a pastor. That seems inappropriate. <laughs> Look at the people's response. All the people rejoiced. Hey, this is awesome. Jane was bent over for 18 years. She was in pain. Jane is now with, in just a moment, all of a sudden, boom, upright. She's praising God. Look at this. And then there's more stuff Jesus is doing. And everybody who wasn't all grumpy and critical, they start going, woo, let's have a party. And then Jane's like, hey, can Asia and the band get back up here? And like, I haven't danced in 18 years. <laughs> right? All of it. Let's sing that like out of the grave song again because now I want to like, oh, oh, I want to get it. And all the people rejoiced. This should be the response. This should be how we act as a church. You know what the church doesn't need? Grumpy, critical, self-righteous people. It, it really doesn't need that. You know what I don't need as a pastor? Grumpy, critical, self-righteous people. Good Lord, Jesus, help us. I shouldn't be grumpy, critical, and self-righteous. Like it's, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? For freedom's sake that we've been set free. It's not for freedom's sake so I can follow all the rules. Rules are good. Rules are good. Jesus is not saying don't follow the rules. We're going to talk about that in just a second. I just want to say, if you are suffering from, uh, how would we say, GCS, Grumpy Critical Self-Righteousness, there's a cure for that. It's called Jesus. If you're critical of when the church is all happy, if you're like, well, they shouldn't be doing that, and then I can't believe they're doing this, and oh my gosh, wow, Jesus has a cure for you. He can bring, he can heal you of that. Um, so, who are, who are we in the story? Who are, who are we? Okay, so I think what we tend to do is we tend to say, you know what, I'm probably that woman. I recognize my need, and I recognize that Jesus saved me, and I'm, I'm more like the woman, 
and um, I'm just innocent, and I'm just going about my pathetic life. It's really hard, but Jesus comes, and he, he's healed me. And yes, that is true. We all are in need of healing, whether it may be physical, but we're all in need of spiritual healing. But the problem is that we have, like what Martin Luther was trying to get us to beat into our head continually, is this GCS problem. We have this grumpy, critical self-righteousness that starts to sneak back into our hearts and our minds. It's like that little red devil on our one shoulder and the white little angel on the other. That little red devil is the one that's whispering into our ears all the time going, Hey, you should. You, you know what? There, you, uh, did you notice so-and-so wasn't really like following the rules and then they got a promotion? They really don't deserve that. You did, though. You were following on the rules, and you should really get that promotion. And we bring that kind of junk into our relationship with Jesus, and we listen to this one. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I've done all the good things. I've done all this stuff, and we've had all our rules together, and blah, blah, blah. And like, they just, they don't even know all the rules, and then all of a sudden, Jesus just heals them. They don't even deserve it. I think that we tend to be like, Joe, the grumpy leader, synagogue leader, is like, hey, hey, not in here, not today, not today. There's, there's six days a week, not today, not today. We're not going to do that today here. That's not what we do here. We dress a certain way in this church. We dress, you come in and all in here with your shorts and your flip-flops like Brandon Hitchcock. Every, it doesn't matter how cold it is, you're wearing your flip-flops. No, not today. We don't dress like that here. You coming in here like... A little tired and like, uh-uh, we, no, when we come to church, we come to church. Not today, not today. When you come, you got to like look the part, feel the part, fake it till you make it. That's what we're all about here. Lord, help us. Who are you in the story? I think, I think we're, that, that we're Joe. And is this me? Oh, it's definitely me. Oh, it is, it is so me. I can walk into any other church, and what do I do? Hmm. You know what? I noticed that center thing. There's actually probably a picture behind that, but you can't really see it. Huh, they should probably work on that. Oh, they're singing that song. That's not really gospel-centered. It's a little, like, about me. I don't know if I... Jesus is okay with that one. Let me look at their books. Oh, mm, that's a little self-helpy. Okay, well, whatever. What their kids like? Their kids, oh, their kids are wild. Well, I mean, they're still Christians, but they'll never be as serious about Jesus as we are. Because we talk about being gospel-centered. We talk about being disciples of Jesus every Sunday. We talk about making much of Jesus, and that's what we're called to do, and they're not doing it as good as we are. See, this junk is in my heart, too. I have to, like, constantly fight against self-righteousness. Like, I, I have ridiculous, stupid high standards that no one can fulfill. And I, I tend to, like, lord it over people and be like, listen, it's got to be like this. And I ask my wife. She's known it for 20 or my four children. <laughs> You're welcome. So I got a problem. 
Are you saying, Kelly, that you have a problem? Yes. Are you saying then we shouldn't just care about rules and what's right? I'm like feeling, I get what you're saying, but it feels like you're pushing that pendulum just way too far on the other side. We're just supposed to be loosey-goosey. We just do whatever feels good, man. You know, all that kind of stuff. No. See, Jesus had laws and rules. And he didn't come and just say, hey, do whatever you feel like. It's all okay. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. No. Jesus had rules. The problem is, what we do is we add rules to rules. So I, I listened to a pastor this week, and he gave such a good example, and I want to give it to you. This is what happens. We have a house, and we have kids, and maybe we live in a house that's near the street. And so as good parents, what do you do? You put up a fence around your house. But as a good parent, you tell your kids, listen, go explore the yard now. Everything on this side of the fence, have at it, okay? Go dig. Go, go look at the little roly-polies and find out why they're under poop and stuff. I don't know. Tell me why that is. And then I want you to like dig up and find worms and all these kind of bugs. And then notice the bird in this tree. It's not in that tree and it builds a nest and that kind of thing. I want you to like explore it all. And I want you to make forts. And I want you to shoot the bad guys. And it's, you know, all of that stuff. But don't go on this side of the fence. Why? Because if you go over here, there's lots of cars, and you are not bigger than a car, and a car will smash you in a second. So Jesus said, listen, there are, it, the way you live your life, it matters. It's meaningful. I've called you to a life of holiness. I've set you apart for this purpose. I've called you to be a people who are distinct from the world. These are the rules, the laws I've called you to work. But then explore it all. Have fun. See, the religious part goes, well, yes. But there's been some people, and they've jumped over that fence. We can't be having none of that. And so what we ought to do is build another fence, and let's build that fence a little higher than that first fence so people won't even be tempted to see the fence that we're not supposed to cross. And they won't even know, and all they'll be able to hear is the traffic out there and like, what's out there? But it'll be harder for them to get over that fence because we can't trust these people to actually follow the rules. So what we need to do is bring the rules back even further. And then when we get more religious people say, that worked for a while, but we feel like we've had this new revelation about the holiness of God. And so what we're going to do now is we know this is a first fence. We, we've been living under this iteration of the second fence, but what we really need to do is a third fence. And that third fence will make sure that we never get to the second fence, which will always ensure that we never cross the first fence and we feel good. And then all of a sudden, we don't have a yard anymore to play in and we get grumpy, critical, and self-righteous. And then when the, the life of God breaks out, somewhere beyond that third or second fence that we put up, we're all like, how dare they? How dare you? There's six days to do anything you want. You can't do it on this day. God, help us. <sighs> Got six minutes left. How do we overcome these misunderstandings of what Jesus is all about? If our, if our hearts and our minds just drift towards like self, critical self-righteousness, grumpiness, like wanting to, like, mm, the rules. How? How do, we, how do we overcome this? 
See, I had a hard, hard time this week. Every, every commentary, every theologian puts these verses together with the parables of the kingdom. And I was like, I don't even understand. Like, how do these parables relate to like a grumpy guy? And then all of a sudden it feels like Jesus is just saying, uh, randomly the kingdom of God is like this. And I'm like, there's got to be something here. And as I dug and I dug into it, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to, to encourage us to say, guys, see, this first person didn't understand what the kingdom of God was like. He thought the kingdom of God was protocols. He thought the kingdom of God was keeping in the lines. He thought the kingdom of God was my self-righteousness. I am a self-made man. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. Cleanliness is close to godliness. Look how clean I am. God accepts me. And then Jesus goes into this proverb and he says, listen, it's not about any of that. This is what he says. Luke 13, 18 through 21, he said, therefore... What's the therefore? It's therefore. You, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've heard me say this over and over, you've got to ask, what's the therefore therefore? So Jesus is answering. What is the kingdom of God like? Since, since these guys are all confused, let me explain it to you. And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew, and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. There's all this life that's happening. And again, in verse 20, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven. If you don't know what leaven is, it's like this bacteria or a, it's stuff that gets into the bread and then it makes everything multiply and get bigger and bigger. That's why when you eat bread, it tastes so good. Take that keto. Okay, I'm getting off a tangent. It's what should I keep kingdom of God? Verse 20. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. It just now let's let's talk about this here. Mustard seed. Tiny little seed. Autumn helped us understand that. Grows into this. Uh, if you don't know, if you've ever been in Chino Chino Hills and you're driving through the canyon or you're driving through any of these parts, have you guys started to notice you see these yellow flowers pop up everywhere? You know what that is? It's wild mustard. It's wild mustard. What happens to that stuff? All of a sudden, it's like you see this little, ah, little colors coming in, and all of a sudden, it's like, boosh, starts to like spread everywhere. And then you're like, it's so beautiful. You know how it started? It's a little thing. It's a little thing. And then all of a sudden, this grew up here, and then all of a sudden started growing more. And then exponentially, like they asked somebody, hey, if you could have, you know, $10,000 every day, or if you could exponentially have two cents, and then multiply that by itself, and then multiply that by itself, and then multiply that by itself, you will outgrow if you get the exponential in money way more than if you were to take even like a million dollars a day. It would go so fast. And Jesus is saying, guys, the kingdom of God is not all about confinement. It's not all about coloring in the lines. It's about this growth that starts off small with like a little bent over woman who nobody even cared about. It's like this lady that no, for 18 years we're saying, hey, just keep doing the same thing and God 
will we'll grant you a blessing for your faithfulness. Sister, be warm and be blessed. Go on your way. And all of a sudden, there's a seed planted. And then what happens? People rejoice. And it says everyone was rejoicing. And then that rejoicing is like, get the band back together. And then all of this stuff starts happening. And people are grooving. And the kingdom of God is being poured out. And then Jesus is also saying, it's also like leaven. You don't really see it. It's like, What's going on? I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, there was this injection into my life, into my culture, into my community. There was a church planted into this area, and then people started getting saved, and then guess what? That person started getting people saved, and that sort of person started telling people about Jesus, and it started growing, and I couldn't even contain it. Jesus doesn't say, hey, by the way, the kingdom of God is like a Rubik's Cube, and you can only turn it certain ways, and it's feels impossible, so then you end up cheating and pulling the stickers off and putting them in different areas. <laughs> See, we have this problem. Here, here, here's some things I want to end with this. Our kingdom wants everything to happen right now. Right. When we first started this church, I was like, God, we need, we need servers. We need a we need the band, we need pastors, we need community groups, we need a welcome table, we need lights, we need kids ministry, we need parking lot, we need flyers, we need all this stuff. And it, what happened? It's kinda, woo. We just need to chill out, trust God with the real growth. Our kingdom wants everything to happen right now and God's saying it's not like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts small and unassuming and it grows exponentially. Our kingdom wants success to be from following protocols and staying in the line. God's kingdom is wild. And it grows organically. And it will not be managed. Come on, somebody. Our kingdom works on the external. Bought some new shoes a couple weeks ago. Hope you like them. There's nothing wrong with looking presentable, but if this is what we're all talking about here, you got to dress a certain way. We, ooh, you're really doing the kingdom. Preachers and sneakers. Have you ever seen that on Instagram? God's kingdom works on the internal first, and then it moves outward. We, used to, we sing the song from the inside out. There's this change that comes from the inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit getting, he doesn't go, okay, in order for you to be a good Christian, we gotta clean you up. You gotta like talk right, you gotta smell right, you gotta look right. Then you can start working on the inside stuff. We're all about morality here, we're all about behavior altercation here in this church. If you were like a sailor cussing on Monday, on that next Sunday, you better have this thing under control. Then you can start signing up for community groups. No. It's like, rip this open, pull out the gunk, and then all of a sudden, all the outside things start happening. My question to you is, and I'll end with this, is whose kingdom are you living in today? Are you living in your own? You know how you know you're living in your own? You ever get grumpy? I get grumpy. You ever get critical? I get critical. You ever get self-righteous? I get self-righteous. 
I know when I'm doing that, I'm living in my own kingdom. Because stuff's not going the way I think it should go. Can we be a church that says, God, we're just going to trust you? Even with the weird, scary, inappropriate times, at times stuff, that God probably wants to do with us. Things that we would never think to do in a thousand years because it doesn't fill into our culture in our way. Can we be the kind of church that says, Lord, we just want to do whatever you say. Would we be a different church? We probably would be a different church. Would you be a different kind of Christian? You probably would be a different kind of Christian. So why not just surrender to it? That's really God's will for your life. Amen? All right, let's stand together this morning.